Hello and welcome to the latest installment of Borders Blatherings, our podcast where Mary and I shine a light on the curious, shadowy and often very magical history of the Scottish borderlands. How are you today, Mary? I'm very well, thank you, Doug. How are you? I, I'm I'm very, very well. Just getting over a little bit of a cold. But anyway, to finish that story I was telling you before we started. Mm-hmm. So in this posh Italian restaurant, the waiter comes over. And although we're having a fairly standard vegetarian meal, recommends a Barolo to go with our meal at £125 a bottle. Uh-huh. And you know what my reply was? <laughs> Who do you think I am? <laughs> Andrew Carnegie. Ah. And I don't think he got that. Right. I don't think he quite understood <laughs> that. Yes. But I said to Miri at the time, that's a good idea for a podcast. Mm, Andrew Carnegie. Andrew Carnegie. Yeah. Well, actually not. Andrew Carnegie. Okay, so not Andrew Carnegie, but right? <laughs> if we think of Andrew Carnegie and the yeah. Rockefellers and mm-hmm. uh, Henry Ford, yeah, and maybe in more modern times, uh, Bezos, mm-hmm. Bill Gates, mm-hmm. and in UK terms, Richard Branson, yeah, they're often given the the sobriquet of the self-made man, yeah, and we'll 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 put the masculine bias to one side for the moment. And very often this is couched as a rags to riches story. Yep. Riches being money. Uh-huh. But I think, and you've mentioned this man before, I think there's someone who sits above all of these names that I've just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, the Maslow Triangle. Yeah. Someone who I believe sits at the very top yeah. as a self-actualized person. Mm-hmm. And that man would be, can you guess? It would be Frederick Douglass. It is Frederick Douglass indeed. Yes. And yet, I'm maybe in my ignorance, but I'm not so aware of foundations in his name, buildings in his name, libraries in his <laughs> name, yeah, and, and so yeah. on and so forth, which you find with Carnegie and, and the Rockefeller, the Rockefeller yeah. Center, etc. And I wonder why. I think there may be a lot more of that in the United States than we're aware of, possibly. Okay. Um, I'm aware that there are several sort of endowment funds for African-Americans who want to go into higher education in his name, things like that. Uh But certainly in Britain and certainly in Scotland, where he had a massive influence. Oh, he uh, did, yeah. Oh, yes. I would argue now... Every town in Scotland, or practically every town in Scotland, has got a Carnegie Library of yeah, some indeed. form or other. Yeah. Okay? So the physical landscape reminds you of Carnegie, the great mm-hmm. philanthropist, yeah. you know, the five man that goes across and all the rest of it. The physical landscape of Scotland was also changed by Frederick Douglass oh. in a slightly different way. Mm-hmm. But he was very, very influential in the way Scottish towns look to this day. I would say. So, you know, just as much as Carnegie is, you know, you walk past a Carnegie library, you don't even know it's a Carnegie library, but it's it's the library on the corner. We all know they're there. And I would argue that Frederick Douglass has been just as influential. I'm surprised that we don't make more of him in Scotland. I'm surprised how few people in Scotland know that, even who he is, let well, alone what he did true, and what because, he visited. Yeah, because I, I really felt that at high school I had an excellent history teacher 
But the name Frederick Douglass was not brought into my uh, brain's realm at all. No, I was completely unaware of him until maybe about 10 or 15 years ago, actually, Mm. when, strangely enough, I was working at the uh, Scottish Music Library in Glasgow with uh, a chap called Andrew Pettinger, that was him, and we were going through various bits and bobs, Mm. and I was looking at Scottish folk songs, and I came across this song, Send Back the Money, and I thought, that's an odd one. And that was when I first came across Frederick Douglass. Oh, that's Send a story that needs telling. <laughs> yes. The money. Okay. Before we get into that, because you've now piqued my interest, uh, give me a little bit of background about Frederick Douglass. Born, born into slavery? He, right? was, he was born into slavery around about 1817, 1818. We're not exactly sure when he was born. Uh, and as a young man, he ran away. Very sensible. And he ran to the north. And he did something which was quite unusual. Now, lots of runaway slaves ran away and built a life for themselves in the north. Uh Completely understandable. Um, Had been through the horrors of slavery and ran away from it. He runs away from it. Mm -hmm. And he could have done just that, built a life for himself. And he said, "Uh aha, I could do that. Or actually, I could campaign against slavery. And that's what he does. But he doesn't just campaign in the United States. He very sensibly comes across to Britain and campaigns in Britain against slavery and the slave trade, which is amazing. You know, I mean, he could have quite comfortably sat down. He had educated himself. Mm, he yeah. had, you know, he'd, he'd married. He could have worked hard and never bothered again. But he put himself, because he was still actually a runaway slave at that time. His master, if you like, would have had the legal right, I think I'm right in saying this, would have had the legal right to chase after him, grab him and say, you're my property, and drag him back. And by putting himself out there publicly, he was putting himself at risk. So I think that's amazing. Yes. But one little point at the sort of start of his life, if you like, which I I love because there's a little Scottish connection, is when he first runs away, his second name is Bailey, and he changes it to Johnson, which is a border's name. Mm Mm-hmm. But then one of his friends says, oh, there's an awful lot of Johnsons about here. Why don't you have a, another name? And, and uh, Frederick said, well, I don't know what name to choose. And his friend said, I have just read the poem The Lady of the Lake by Sir Walter Scott. Douglas. Why don't you call yourself Douglas? And that is how Frederick Douglas became Frederick Douglas. And it's a fantastically uh-huh. funny little Scottish connection, borders connection, straight away before he's even ever set foot in the Wonderful. place. I just love that. It's just a nice wee point. But as I say, there he is. He's a young man. And in 1845, he decides to come across to Britain and campaign about slavery and the slave trade and tell people of all the horrors. And that's exactly what he did. And does he have a greater impact on abolition than, say, now who did I learn about in high school? William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce. That's the old uh, yeah. standard, yeah. yeah. Well, the thing is that there were lots and lots of abolitionists going mm. about, fantastic people, but the problem was that they tended to fall into one or two camps. There was mm-hmm. either the people who would pitch up to do a, you know, some sort of rally or something in Edinburgh or Glasgow or whatever, and you'd have three or four speakers on the stage, and they would have a token black person sitting there, looking all sort of miserable and slave-like. Mm-hmm. And they would regale the audience with how terrible slavery was, and how we had to outlaw slavery, and it was awful, awful, awful. 
And if the black person was lucky, they got to stand up at the end and say something like, you know, my name is Doug, I am an ex-slave, or my name is Mary and these kind people are taking care of me. But that was it. They were basically there. It was tokenism. Yeah, yeah. You know. So it was... It was, uh, yeah, it was patronising, it was condescending. Yes, they were campaigning against slavery and the slave trade, but they were still saying, like, the poor little black people, we need to take care of them. It was, you know, uh, uh-huh. yeah. Yeah, yeah, so there was that. Yeah. And then there was the worst kind of abolitionists. And what they did was they would, again, have the token black person there, frequently a black woman, and they would talk about the horrors of slavery, but they would go on and on about things like the whippings and not having any clothes to wear, and how many times did the master attack the female slaves? And well, rich white men are getting off on this. Exactly, <laughs> and you just think, you're really oh dear, oh dear right? Yeah, and yeah. so I'm sure that they, well, maybe some of them realised exactly what they were doing, but uh, that was really bad. Yeah. And often these were the sorts of abolitionist movements that would be advertised in newspaper right next to an advert for a black and white minstrel show. You know, the two of them. And yeah, you, you would have yeah, an abolitionist yeah. speech coming on after or sometimes in the interval of a minstrel show. And they didn't seem to yeah. see that that was a problem. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, it was really quite bad. So that was what was happening. Mm-hmm. And then Frederick Douglass turns up and he's not the poor wee slave at the end of the... He speaks, he's in the centre of the table. He takes command. He speaks to white people as if he were their equal. And there were lots of people were quite sort of, wait a minute here. He's talking to us like he's like equal of us, you know. And he was looking at white women full in the face. Outrageous. And then what he did was he talked about slavery. He didn't mention whipping. Well, I mean, people whipped their children at this point, so that was a bit pointless. He didn't mention whipping or sexual abuse or any of these things. He talked about the indignity. The indignity, yeah. The inhumanity. The degradation of one human being owning another human being the way you would own a chair or a piece of furniture that you would use and then when it was broken, you would throw it away. And so a lot of people that came to his speeches, they came along because it was advertised that he was a runaway slave. So they're expecting the horror stories Mm -hmm. and the whipping and the this and the that. And he didn't tell about any of that. He talked about the indignity of having to bow his head. He talked about the indignity of not being allowed to look people in the face. He talked about the indignity of having to call people master. And that shook up a lot of abolitionists and they didn't quite like it because it was, you know, he, he wasn't being this docile, he wasn't being a victim. They couldn't come in as the great white person on their charger and save him because he was saving himself. Thank you very much. Yeah. And then he would tell about the fact that he had escaped without the help of any white people. And he would talk about the black networks, of course, we know about the Underground Railway, all yeah, these sorts of things, yeah, and then yeah. Harriet Tubman. You know, and, and of course, all of a sudden you thought, oh, actually, black people can do the same as white people because they are the same as white people. It was quite, it was yeah. quite a sort of culture shock for a few folks. Oh, that that's was where really it was different. Entirely one of the rich personality traits that, that the man had. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, I think I told you some time ago of, just to carry that on a little bit, when I was once with a a colleague at a fundraising seminar in London organized by Oxfam. It is many years, in the 80s, when I was running the charity down in Bristol. And 
I, I objected to <laughs> the presentation that was given because every single image that was shown of black people, they were crying, they were covered in insects. Oh, they, they, yeah. And I, I know, said, I know can we see someone smiling, yeah. please? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Would it be possible? Mm -hmm. And these people had, of course, the best of intentions, mm -hmm. but it was a similar type of messaging about uh, yes, about yeah, it's it's a dignity. It's, you get to be a savior. Uh -huh. Look at us saving yeah. the poor black person, exactly whether that. they're a slave yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. he's standing up for himself. And he's standing yeah. up, and he's just yeah. saying, "No." He says, "This is about human beings yeah. being." Horrible to other human beings. Mm -hmm. It happens to have a racial element in it. Yeah. Um, but as far as he was concerned, he almost discounted the racial element because what was really interesting was he went to Ireland in 1845. And of course, what's happening then? The famine. The famine, yeah. So he pitches up and out. Now, he is a runaway slave. Most, almost all of the slave owners that he knew were descendants from British people. Okay, yes, so yes. white British people are rich, they own slave plantations. Then he goes to Ireland and there are people dying, literally dying of starvation, mm. whilst there is pheasant and deer and trout in the rivers, and yet they're dying because of the politics, because of the landlordism, yeah. because of the way the rents were tapped in, because of the, the way the taxes were levied on people. I mean, there was people forget that during the potato blight, there was food being exported from Ireland from, to London. Yeah. yeah. So there was food in the country, just wasn't food that anybody could access. And he looks at this and he sort of says, how can you talk about abolishing slavery but not care about what's happening to the working poor in Ireland? Good point. And that was where, to him, it had nothing to do with race. It had everything to do with the rich people at the top, who were obviously predominantly white, not caring about the poor people at the bottom, mm -hmm. irrespective of their colour. And he said, so you've got people working in Ireland and dying of starvation and people working in, I don't know, Alabama and being whipped to death. Uh, Where's the difference? Where's the difference, yeah. Where's the difference? Yeah. And, and this, again, was a huge shock to the abolitionists because the abolitionists were busy saving black people because, well, we're saving black people. But the Irish, well, first of all, they were the dirty Irish, remember, her navvies. Um, they just literally had forgotten about them. As if, yeah, oh, yeah, we're going to bother about yeah. them now as well. They were picking and choosing as to who, <laughs> um, you know, we'll, we'll, we like the slaves because we can feel all superior because our skin is white and their skin is yeah. black and we can be all Look superior and done. we yeah. can be saviors, aren't we? Lovely, wonderful. Yeah. Oh, the Irish, oh, flip. And I think it's because they were feeling a bit guilty because they looked at Ireland and they thought, oh, flip, these are our own people, if you like, and, mm -hmm. and, and we had abandoned them. And so a lot of people got really quite agitated about this yeah, yeah. Um, and, it, and it, again it shook a lot of people up and there were two or three abolitionist societies that actually set up um, funds for the Irish and they would send funds mm -hmm. over and again they were sending money over um, money is a big issue here uh, but they were sending money over to help with the Irish famine yeah. um, but there was the problem was that there was a crossover between those who owned the plantations in the southern states, the West Indies, yeah. and those who owned the plantations, because that's what they were as good as, in Ireland. In Ireland yeah. And they were yeah. all the same yeah. class, and they were all interrelated. They were all married to each other. You know, so Frederick Douglass was quite right. They didn't care. Mm -hmm. They just did not care. You were the poor to be used and abused, as was. With, with what you've... <laughs> sorry, sorry to digress, but with what you have said up to now, 
you mentioned he takes the surname Douglas because mm-hmm. of a poem uh, by Sir Walter Scott, Lady yeah. of the Link. Everything you said about the man would lead me to believe, maybe it's my, my partiality, but he would be far more intrigued by the work of Robert Burns than of Sir Walter oh, Scott. Oh, he loved Burns. <laughs> he loved Burns. And he visited, when he came across to Scotland, he visited Burns' cottage. Okay. Oh, yeah, he loved all that. Uh-huh. And I mean, he, he really liked Scotland. He said at one point that if he could live anywhere out with the United States, he would live in Scotland. And especially Edinburgh, because apparently he could walk down Prince's Street and people line, would yeah. tip their hat to him as a gentleman and not look askance because he had a dark skin. And he loved that fact. Um, now, it may well be that it was because he was Frederick Douglass and he was probably quite well known at that point, and he wasn't exactly in some of the rougher parts and of Edinburgh. But, yeah, well, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was nice that he had such an enjoyable experience because... After he'd visited Edinburgh and sort of, you know, been accepted by polite society, then he went on his campaign and part of the big campaign was down in the borders of Scotland and that was the campaign to send back the money. Now, why the borders? Was there some, I, I, I have a feel, feeling of building up to the church here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how can you tell? Okay, so let's go back two three years to 1843. Mm-hmm. In fact, we need to go back further than that. So, the Reformation we the Reformation happened for a variety of reasons, but one of the reasons why the Protestant Church kicks off in Scotland is because we don't want priests and bishops and archbishops yeah, and, and yeah. cardinals and popes in between us and God. So yeah. you just have the minister, and the minister is the leader of the congregation, and he leads you in prayer and sermon, but that is all he is. He is no better than you. Fast forward to the 19th century, and what's happened is the Duke of Buccleuch and the Duke of Roxburgh would say things like, well, actually, my brother's in the ministry, so could he not be minister? Or my cousin could be minister. And they started to be the ones who would say who the minister was. It became patronage. Yeah, of course, there was a lot of patronage then. Exactly. And the Church of Scotland said, the Kirk of Scotland said, well, actually, that's not how Presbyterianism is supposed to work. Mm And so in 1843, what was called the Great Disruption took place, and 200 Kirk of Scotland ministers left, took their congregations with them, and became the Free Kirk. This is the Free Kirk, and then, they, Because yeah, they were yeah. free of the patronage of these big bad guys, yeah. which is fine. So they left, okay? And they're all doing this sort of moral high ground bit, and they're saying the Kirk of Scotland, you're hopeless and we're fantastic. And then the Kirk of Scotland said, well, you can get stuffed. Um, but you're not getting any of the churches, and you're not getting any of the vestments, and you're not getting any of the anything, the prayer books, nothing. And the, Kirk, the free Kirk said, well, you can't do that. And the Kirk of Scotland said, well, yes, we can, get stuffed. So the free Kirk is sitting there going, well, we need to, we need to have somewhere to worship. So, Where are we going to get the money? Exactly. <laughs> so initially they're meeting in people's houses, and what they do is they think, well, who's, who's got a bit of money? Oh... So they wrote to the slave owners <laughs> in the southern states uh-huh. and in the West Indies and said, the big bad Kirk of Scotland's horrible now and it's full of patronage. And because people like the Duke of Buccleuch and the Duke of Roxburgh spent half their time in London, the Free Kirk sort of said the patronage we're getting is English-influenced. Now, a lot of the Scots that had gone to the southern states had gone mm-hmm. to the southern states to avoid <laughs> the English a lot of them were descendants of the Covenanters. So yeah. they went, oh, yes, of course. Well, they got to the Carolinas and, 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 exactly. and south, yeah, yeah. So they send back 
millions of pounds so mm. the Free Kirk can build churches. So the Free Kirk's going, hey, fantastic, now we can build churches. Yeah. So they start to build churches. Fantastic. And then Frederick Douglass pops up and says, oh, I don't think so. Mm. Do you know where that money comes from? The Kirk of Scotland who has had its nose put out of joint, then all of a sudden it's got the moral high ground and says, ooh, look at that, they're getting money off of slavery. Aren't yeah. they bad? So they support Frederick Douglass. Now, Frederick Douglass wasn't stupid. He could sense the fact that there was just basically a bun fight between the Kirk and the Free Kirk, but he thought, I don't care if it stops people using money. It was made on, literally on the backs of black people. I'm all for this. So he runs with it. And he sets up this campaign, which is called Send Back the Money. money. There are posters, there are songs, there are letters to the newspaper constantly with this title, Send Back the Money, Send Back the Money, Send Back the Money. And eventually Mm. the free can't take it anymore, and they did. They sent the money back, which is why if you look in the borders of Scotland, there isn't a free Kirk church in the whole of the borders. Now, there's a free Kirk congregation, there is no church. Because they couldn't build one. So for every town that's got a Carnegie library, it hasn't got a free Kirk church. And if you look at the towns that have got free Kirk churches, they are small and they are squat. Mm. And then, in the 1870s, there is the Great Revival, and you get a whole heap of Church of Scotland, Kirk of Scotland churches being built, and because the Kirk of Scotland has now got the moral high ground, they build ridiculous churches <laughs> yeah. with high steeples of 200 feet. There's one quarter of a mile down the road from Absolutely. where we are right now. Yeah. You yeah. go into any Scottish town, you will see a late 19th century Church of Scotland church mm-hmm. with a high spire. Yeah. You will see a Carnegie library, and you will either not see a Kirk of Scotland, a free Kirk church, yeah. Or it will be a small squat building, and that's down to Frederick Douglass, and he <laughs> send back the money. So that's why I said at the beginning he has literally well, his affected is large is right across. The and the reason why it's so strong in the borders is because so many of those who were sent across to the southern states as slaves, covenanters, came from the borders, yeah. and in all of the successive waves of movement of peoples. The southern people from Scotland went to the southern states. The Highlanders went to the northern states yeah. predominantly. Yeah. And so that's why this send back the money and the free cut and Frederick Douglass. That's why when he pitches up at Kelso, there are 2,000 people turning up to hear him speak. That's why the entire front page of the Kelso Chronicle is devoted to his speech verbatim. That is why it's so strong in the borders. And he spoke in every single borders towns and when he couldn't even fit into the hall he would stand in the market square and tell people uh-huh. the indignity, the inhumanity and send back the money. And that was, you know, people who had who would never go to see anything or hear anybody or or know anything about slavery. They hadn't gone to abolition movements because they couldn't really be bothered. They would go to speak. They would go to hear him speak rather. They would go to listen to the great Frederick Douglass in the border towns. And you you mentioned his affection for the work of Robert Burns, Ravi Burns. Yes. Um, 
Would he interlace his speeches with, you know, because Bond's a man's a man for all that, and you know, we're, he, he we're, would we're use that cool. a lot. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, he yeah. he would use the words of Burns, and he would talk to ordinary people, and uh-huh. and apparently he would he would do his great speech, and then afterwards, I mean, much like today, you know, you'll do a speech, and somebody says, "Well, you stay by, behind for questions." It wasn't sort of formalised like that, but if somebody wanted to come and chat to him, he would chat to them. Mm-hmm. He would sit and he would talk for an hour to a newspaper reporter. They must have loved him. Yeah. You know, there was no filter there. He just spoke to them and told them exactly what it was. And what he was doing was he wasn't saying to the Scottish people, you are bad for wanting to build these churches with slave <coughs> money. He yeah. was saying, because I know you're good, you will send it back. So he was appealing to the goodness in him. He's, he wasn't, you know, because he, he could have done yeah. that. He could have said, you're awful, stop taking that yeah. money. Binary argument. He yeah. said, yeah. no, yeah. you're good. I know you'll send it back. Now that you know the truth, now mm-hmm. that you realise where that money is from, yeah. I know you will send it back. And they did. You know, now that you realise where it comes from, now that you know the root of where this money is mm-hmm. and where it comes from, yeah. you will send it back. And there was a huge surge of support for abolition in the borders on the back of Frederick Douglass. So, you know, a massive, massive influence here in the borders, and wider Scotland, and wider Britain, of course, but very much so in the borders, yeah. Now, you do a lot of work with the local primary school. Yes. And um, I mentioned earlier William Wilberforce, who I was drummed yes. into me. Is is Frederick Douglass, Douglass's life and legacy something that, that really should be made, young people should be made much more aware of, of this oh, yes, man's role I would in say the so, yes. Uh, I mean, we are quite proud in Britain of our role in the abolition of the slave trade and slavery, uh-huh, yeah. which is fine up to a point. Mm-hmm. But again, we have got a tendency to do the white saviour bit of, yeah. oh, it was William Wilberforce. Yeah. Um, and I think that we've got a tendency to look at the great and the good, so Wilbur Wilberforce, and white people, rather than the ordinary people that signed the Wilberforce bill petitions. Uh-huh. Um, something like 350,000 people across Britain um, signed that petition. Now, the petition fell for a lot of reasons, but that showed you the, the, the force yeah. of, of yeah. support for it. And it was ordinary people that were supporting. Yeah. And the fact that Frederick Douglass was himself a black man, as opposed to Wilbur Wilberforce, who was a white man. Mm-hmm. So things like that. I mean, Frederick Douglass goes back to the United States and he continues to campaign. He... He sets up his own printing business. He encourages young black people to be as literate as they can be, to go forward to, to uh, university education, to write their experiences, not as a not as a sort of misery, oh, look at me, poor me, this and this happened to me, but this, my humanity was taken from me, my dignity was taken from me. That was the way he pushed forward and continued to push forward for years and years and years. And, you know, he sets up his own publishing company. He encourages his children to go into writing. All of these things, he, he's a force to be reckoned with all the time. So I think that it, it's to the man's detriment that we don't know about yeah, him. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and the fact that, as I say, he had this great compassion for ordinary people, no matter what they're called. He looked at the Irish poor in the famine and said, that's a disgrace. I can't think of many other public figures in Britain that were actually saying that's a disgrace. Yeah, Most of them were yeah. saying, well, that's a feckless Irish for you. Yeah. It's a dynasty It's because they've done it wrong, or it's their fault, or oh, just chuck mm. them onto a ship to America. You know, that, that yeah. was, there yeah. was no... The abolition movement had several people. There are speeches from the abolition movement 
It was advertised in the local newspapers. Famine relief fund for Ireland. Mm, no, not I mean, really. It's really interesting. That not really. Yeah. You know, but he could see that. But he could, he see, could see that. See as far as he's concerned, it, it was not. A, it wasn't a racial issue. Yeah. Um, obviously, there was a huge racial element. But to him, what was important was human beings degrading other human beings, whatever their skin color, and that was the point that he drove drove home. And I think it's really relevant today. If I can go off on a complete tangent. Please do. There's currently a war going on in Ukraine, and Britain has, quite rightly, welcomed war refugees from Ukraine. There's a war in Yemen, and there's a war in Syria. Yeah. We're yeah. not so fond of those refugees. Would that be because, because their skin colour is different? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's people being horrible to people. To people, yeah. And we are not responding equally. We should be responding equally. Frederick Douglass... You know, almost 200 years ago, showed us that. Sorry, 150 years ago, showed us that. You should be looking at the inhumanity of man to man, whatever the skin colour. And we've we've lost that lesson along the way, hugely so. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. You say he set up his own publishing company, so he's in the he dabbles with the written word. Yes. Can I take it then that it's not? The autobiographical poor me. This is what I went through, but it's more moralistic. The the yes. the, the work that he does. Yes. He's he's, he's putting yeah. out lessons there for for yeah. us to 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 learn from. Yeah, I mean he's he's talking about things that we would later hear from from Martin Luther King uh-huh. about yeah. you know the the the, the man <clears throat> standing over the slave with a whip in his hand is just as brutalized. He has become just as brutalized yes. as the slave yeah. that he is brutalizing. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, yeah. similar. You can you can read Frederick Douglass, read Martin Luther King, and read Gandhi, mm-hmm. and and the 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 writing is almost interchangeable. That humanity, that mm-hmm. level of just the inhumanity, whether it's it's black white people and black people or the British colonies in in India, mm-hmm. it's the same level of, and almost challenging. The slave owners. He was saying, "Why? Why are you doing this? Yeah, yeah. You can you sort of. Can you look at yourself in the mirror? Yeah. When you're doing this, you know, ah, when you literally yeah. can take a whip to someone's back mm. and treat them as property, and that took a long time. I mean, I am old enough now that, and I always tell this to the kids in the schools. I got belted when I was at the school. My head teacher when I was in primary was a six foot man, and he was a rugby player. He was allowed to physically hit me with a leather belt when I was five years old. That was legal in Scotland. Yeah. So this hitting, we've been hitting people, hitting oh, white yeah. people, hitting yeah. black people, men hitting women, adults hitting children. And that's what Frederick Douglass was saying. What, why are you, do, what is, what is the lesson what you're trying this? to, yeah. what is the yeah. lesson that you're teaching the person you're hitting? And what's yeah. the lesson you're teaching yourself yeah. by Hitting another person by reducing them in dignity, mm-hmm. by reducing yeah. them in, in respect. And that was the lesson that I don't think some people today still haven't learned that lesson. Indeed, indeed not. And I, I don't wish to minimize this, but I often say to students, oh, in my day at school, because, you know, I'm an old man now, I, I, I would get the belt for splitting the infinitive, and they go, "What? What? What's that?" Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not to boldly go. And to all boldly that. go. I would have got yeah. the belt for that. Yeah, uh, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I was still at school where if you were left-handed, your hand would be tied behind your back. Got it, wicked. And I would also be belted if I spoke Scots in school. That, 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 that's the one. Yeah, that one really rankles. I Ask any Scot that prizes for a poem in Scots one, one day a year. Uh-huh. But if I spoke Scots at high in school, uh, yeah. I would have got the belt. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and what Frederick Douglass was saying all those years yeah. ago was just when you're going to do something, think, think. what is it you're doing? Yeah. yeah. Are you affording that other person dignity? Are you giving that other person respect? And if you literally own another human being, then the answer is no. There is no dignity and there can be no respect. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You can... You you had masters who had particular female slaves that they liked and they dressed them up and they gave them perfume and jewellery and beautiful clothes and they could live in the house and all that. They were still property. They were still owned. One human being owned another human being. And it was that that he drove home. And that was the message that came through loud and clear. And as I say, if you go into the British Newspaper Archive, which is an amazing archive, and you put in his name, and you look at the thousands, and I mean thousands of newspaper articles that come up yeah. with his name, the keywords you will see will be send back the money, dignity, humanity, and respect. And that's his legacy. And I just wish that a few more folk in Scotland could try to live up to that legacy. Uh, and, yeah, and, and he could see beyond the binary. Um, the... Oh, what's the Tarantino movie? Django Unchained. Oh yes, I'm he was not taking on a on a on a, on a simplistic no. binary human no. piece of nonsense. Mm-hmm. In that movie, the is it Brad Pitt or someone? The plantation owner mm-hmm. has a right hand man who's played by Samuel L. Jackson, mm-hmm. and he is stricter and more horrible. Yes, to black people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Than the than the plantation owner yes. is because yeah. he's bought in. He's bought into he's the system into because the system. whole system, the whole because the system is corrupt. Yeah. It corrupts. It, it corrupts, corrupts everybody, yeah. and that's yeah. the tragedy of it. Yeah. So that you might be at the top of you might be at the top of the pile, mm. but the pile you're sitting on, the pile of dung, it's still yeah. a pile of dung, yeah. even if you're on the top of it. And that's that's the lesson that Frederick Douglass taught us all, and we all need to remember it and relearn it. Johnny Cash's My Empire of Dirt. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Very fascinating. Yeah. Um, shall we start the movement then to raise some cash <laughs> to, to, to honour Frederick Douglass's legacy? Well, as we seem to spend a lot of time in Britain pulling statues down, maybe that's one statue we could put up. Maybe that's one we could put up. Maybe. Thank you very much. You're welcome.